welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Tell your neighbor my sermon title. It's Take the Low Place. Take the Low Place. And you can turn over to John 13. That's where we're going to be. But take the low place. Take the low place. Are you serious? Give up the good seat to someone else? Why would I want to do that? I want the best seat in the house. I want the seat by the window. I want the seat that people will look at me and they will see, yes, you know, they'll look up to you. I don't want, the, I don't want the, the low place. You want me to serve? I barely have enough energy for myself. How could I serve? Take the low place. Yet tonight, this is what Jesus is calling his followers to, a life of service A life of taking, not the place of honor, not the place of recognition, admiration. It's to take the place of the servant, the lowest place. And we will find out that it is freedom to serve others. And and in tonight's text, in John 13, if you're turning there, um, Jesus, though he is the king of kings, though he is the creator of everything that we see, though he holds your very breath, He took the place of a servant. He humbled himself to wash the disciples' feet. The one who truly deserved the place of honor, Jesus, took the low place. And so the sermon tonight, that's my title, and my sermon points are literally just one sentence. So it's a little different. Don't tell my dad. He's a three-point guy. Um, So I'm, I'm, you know, this is is a little outside, so we'll see how it goes. Um, But I'm going to read the text, so if you're with me, say I'm with you. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. During supper, when Jesus, or when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter said to him, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my head and my hands. Dump the whole bucket on me. (laughs) But Jesus said to him, no, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. But when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, 
Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you may do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Just three more verses, and I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Again, the sermon title tonight is Take the Low Place. This is what Jesus is calling us as his children, his disciples to do, to humble ourselves and to take on this life of service. So my first point um, is under pressure. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is under pressure here in the first three verses. He is under the pressure of responsibility. Some of you in this room have a lot of responsibility. Many of us do. Um, Some of you have kids that you are responsible for. They literally cannot survive without you. (laughs) That's responsibility. Some of you run businesses and you have employees that depend on you. Some of you are students and um, you're responsible to perform and get your degree and there's a finals coming on Friday and you are responsible. You feel the weight of that test coming. You feel that pressure That can all be a weight, but Jesus here, as we'll see in the first three verses, had much more responsibilities than you and I have on his shoulders. So check it out in in verse 1. So it starts out by saying that Jesus knows his hour has come to depart. And um, it's talking about Jesus' final week of ministry. This is the final week of his life. And so um, his hour to die on the cross was coming. He had loved his own, it says, in verse 1, which are, which are those who had believed in his name, he loved them to the end. Um, and that just talks about his, that Jesus was faithful to instruct his disciples, to teach the crowds. He was faithful day in and day out to pray and to fulfill the calling that his father had put on him. And I love that. I love this verse because it's like Jesus is finishing something. He's finishing something. You know, how, much, how many of us could say that we finish everything we start? <laughs> I can't. I'm the first person to say I don't finish everything I start. But thank the Lord that Jesus finishes what he starts. That his hour had now come. He had loved his own who were in the world, verse 1, and he loved them to the end. He finished the work. He would finish it on the cross. And verse 2, so it tells us that, okay, yes, Jesus is in the plan of God, but how interesting that the plan of God includes hardship. Includes hardship for Jesus because his, his, uh, his brother, his closest friend, one of his closest friends, Judas, who preached alongside him, performed miracles, witnessed Jesus' life, would betray him. Would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, was three months wages. And if you'll remember um, the uh, alabaster flask that um, Mary, the woman, broke across Jesus' feet um, and, and anointed him, um, that was worth a year's wages. 
And, and Judas is like, that's worth a year's wages. And here he is selling the son of God out for three months wages. That's how much Judas, um, that's how much Jesus meant to Judas. Just an incredible weight upon Jesus. Incredible weight. And, uh, you know, I think this is here. It's really important that, that you know that God's way is not always the easiest way. I think it's really important. The way, um, you know, it, let's, not, let's not think that God's way is the easiest way. Wait, are you saying that God's way is hard? Well, the, I'm not saying that. The Bible actually says that, in, in, uh, and it says that the way of salvation is narrow. The way is hard that leads to eternal life. And so if you're here tonight and not in God's family, let it be known that the way of, to God is not easy, but it is the only safe way. It is the only true way. It's the only way with eternal implications. And so, but here is Jesus. He's, he's under this pressure. He has, um, his brother's going to betray him. Um, and verse 3 says, tells us that his father's authority has been given to him. And so again, everything's going according to plan, but yet all this did not lessen the pressure that was on him. All this did not lessen the pressure. Think of all the things that were about to come upon Jesus. Think of, um, he was about to be brutally executed by a, Ro a Roman torture device called a cross. And he was about to pay and, and, and experience the wrath of God for all of humanity. He was about to be separated from God. Um, think about the, his disciples, the, the 12 men he was supposed to, to raise up to bring the gospel. Even into the final week, they're struggling to understand even the most element, elemental things about the gospel. Do you wash my feet, Lord? What are you doing? Simon, you're like, I'm leaving in five days, man. You're going to have to carry this, you know? Um, and so his disciples are struggling to understand. G uh, Judas is about to betray him. He was about to experience the horror and terror of being separated from the Father. All this like a weight. You know, some of you have weight in your life, right? But nothing, none, of you, none of us have more pressure on us than Jesus had in this moment. And so why do I bring that up? Why, why even say that? Because if there was, because he had every reason not to serve in this moment. He had every reason to take a night off, to, to do some self-care and to like retire. You know, I got all this, these things to do. I got to pay the wrath of God in a couple days and I got someone betraying me. I don't have time for this. But what does he do? Jesus served. And that's my point number two. So let's look at verse four. Again, all the weight of the world on his shoulders and he doesn't turn inward. He turns outward. Verse four, it says, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, um, this is kind of a strange occurrence uh, to us in the 21st century. We don't typically go to people's houses. You know, if I'm going to Josh's house, you know, he doesn't invite me in and be like, oh, brother, let me go uh, wash your feet. We have this little tub here. We have this soap. It's uh, made from ashes. It's, it's natural, and we're going to wash your feet. It's good for your pores. You know, before dinner, let's just clean your smelly feet, and then you can come into my house. That's kind of weird, but that was a custom back then, and I'll tell you, I'll give you some background. Um, transportation was a nightmare back then. You, th you guys think uh, Midwest roads are bad with potholes, okay? There was, no, there was no pavement back then. There was dirt, 
And uh, if, you were, if you were the budget, um, if you were a budget commuter, the Honda Civic back in the day was literally your legs with some sandals. That was the budget way. You know, you walked everywhere. And, you know, that's, that's how you kept your gas bill low. And, but if you were really, if you were really, you know, kicking it, if you really had a good ride, if you had the Ferrari of the day, you had a camel or a donkey. And what do camel and, camels and donkeys produce along the road as they walk? Poop. And so think about the roads. They were muddy, dirty, feces strewn everywhere. It's on your feet. It's clinging to your calves. It's like the scent of it, you just can't get away. You're like trying to outrun it, but it's on my calf. You know, it's like you can't escape it. And so have I painted that picture for you? <laughs> can you you're like, I can smell it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so now you know how, how the importance of feet washing back in the day. Now, they used to dine. Now, I've showed a picture of this before, but they used to recline at table, which means literally to lay down, and your feet are like up by your neighbor's head. So imagine if feet washing wasn't a thing, and you were trying to in- enjoy some sourdough with some fecal matter on someone's foot, like right here. So it was important. It was important. Um, and so this was definitely a dirty job. Like, you know, that uh, episode, what was that? Like, dirty jobs. Mike Rowe. This would definitely qualify as a dirty job. Um, and so uh, here is Jesus taking this on. Um, one more fact. I know I'm like, I'm, I'm going into this pretty deep. But one more fact about this task is that um, it was often done by the lowest servant. The lowest of the low. Even Jews reserve that task for someone else. If you were a Jew, Jew, Jewish servant, you weren't washing people's feet. You reserved that for the Gentile, the foreigner, the foreign slave, the foreign servant. That's how low this task was. People avoided it like the plague. So it was often for the servant with the least seniority. And so it's amazing that a task reserved for the lowest of the low was taken up by the high king, the highest, the king of kings, Jesus. The one who sits on the heavens with, and he, he, uh, he rests his feet on the earth. And yet he takes the low place. He takes his place. Now here we see this, um, this display of service. And I want to be clear that this was not a display of weakness. This display of service was not weak. You know, a lot of times we can think of serving as weak. Oh, that's, that's weak, you know, like... I don't have to serve. It's it just, you look not strong when you don't serve, when you serve. But it's actually the opposite truth. It is the weak person that is actually the worst servant. They can't do anything. But it is the, it is the strongest one um, who is also often the most effective servant. And so, um, yeah, so the most effective servants are strong. They use their strength to elevate others. So Jesus here, just because he served, doesn't make him weak. Um, I think of the, the same Jesus that washed the feet of the disciples was the same Jesus that overturned the tables in the temple and, and zeal, passion for the house of the Lord consumed him. And in that moment, he was, he was viewed as strong. But here he is doing a servant's task, but he is still strong. It is still a display of strength. Um, I'm reminded of a quote um, that, uh, by Jordan Peterson, and, and, it, and he goes like this, A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. And so, the, so here Jesus is. He has the power of a thousand sons. He could summon it in a word. He could clean their feet in a, 
in a, in, a, in a snap. But here he is using his strength to take the lowest position and to serve. What an example. What an example to us. Okay, so why did he do it? Why serve? Uh, point number three. So again, under the pressure, Jesus didn't decide to cave. He didn't take a day off. He didn't, he didn't choose to be overwhelmed by it all. No, he cho- chose to care about others. He chose to serve. And he, did, and he served to show off his work, to illustrate his work. That's my third point, to show his work. Because the, the feet washing is really a picture. I won't say it's a picture. It's a picture of what Jesus does spiritually. Now, again, we get a clue of how, um, of how unheard of it was for a Jew to wash feet by Peter's response. Like, what does he say? Jesus gets to him, Lord... You shall never wash my feet. Get away from me. You're not washing my feet. Psh. Don't wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, but if I don't wash you, you, you don't have any part of me. Again, <laughs> and, and Simon flips the script. He's like, okay, well then, wash all of me. Like, can I jump in the bucket? Can you dump it on my head? You know, what can I do? Um, and so here we see that Peter thought it was about hygiene. But Jesus was talking about holiness. He was saying, yes, Peter, your feet are dirty. <laughs> but your soul is far worse. Your, the dirt of your sin is far worse. And he says, I've come to wash you and cleanse you from your sins. Again, this is a picture. It's not just about dirt on the feet. It's about the dirt in all of our souls. It's about the sin that we all were born into. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. We've all fallen short of God's holy standard. Wait, does that include me? Am I included in that? Yes. The Bible says that all, all have sinned. All have sinned. All have failed to meet God's expectations. But unlike physical dirt that you can scrub off, sin you cannot yourself. You cannot remove your sin yourself. And Romans 6.23 says that the payment of sin is death. The, the, what you get for doing sin, walking in sin, what all of us deserve for walking in sin is death. And so this is talking about the perfect measured judgment coming for each one of us for the sin that we carry. And so I, my question to, to you friends tonight is, have you been washed? Have you been cleansed? Yes, Jesus is washing, physically washing their feet, but he's, he's speaking of a greater reality. Do you see that? He's, seeing, he's saying that I alone can cleanse you of your sins. Have you been cleansed, friends? If not, judgment is your end. Yet Jesus is illustrating that he has the power to cleanse you, that he has the power to forgive you. Every person in this room can be free today. Every person can be forgiven. And, when, and I love this. When Peter understands this, he said, when, when he understands what Jesus means, he says, Lord, can you dump the bucket on me? Can you cleanse all of me? Can you, can you saturate my soul? Acts 3.19 um, talks about this process of repenting and believing. That's the response, right? When the good news of Christ is preached, the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose for our justification, for our new life, when that, 
is preached, our response is to repent, to turn away from our sins and believe, to trust, to, to place ourselves at the mercy of Christ. Chad alluded to Jesus being the, um, being the, the pilot or the CEO of our life. Too many of us friends are, on, are, are, are the CEO of our life. And what Jesus is asking you to do is leave the board, to resign from the company and, and make him CEO. Let him rule your life. And so Acts 3.19 says to repent, turn away from your sins. And I love this. What happens? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's, the, that's what comes when we repent, friends, that when we open ourselves up, that when we allow Christ to wash us, to tie the towel around his waist and wash our hearts, we can receive refreshing Times are refreshing. Friends, return to God. Return to God. Some of you are so far. But you were created by him to know him. Return to him. I love the song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. You know the song? And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's Christ's work in our hearts. When there's a fountain filled with blood, and it's Christ's blood, and sinners plunge beneath that blood, when the blood of Christ is applied to us, we lose all our guilty stains. Have you been cleansed? Have you been washed by Christ? That is what um, he is illustrating by his feet washing so that you would know, so that I would preach this tonight, that you would see Christ is reaching out to you. Yeah, he wants to cleanse you. So, under pressure, Jesus served to illustrate his work and to finally lead us to ours. Lead us to our work. What's our work, Lord? If your work is to cleanse me, if your work is to forgive me, if your work is to empower me to this new life, what is my work? What am I to be doing? Verse 12, Jesus, when he washed their feet, he said to them, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord. I'm in, I am important. You're right, I am. So verse 14, if I then, your master, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You see here, Jesus tells us the reason that he washes the feet. He does it as an example. Jesus is saying that if I, the king of the universe, the creator of everything, the one who sustains your breath, the one who sees your future, if I took the lowest place, there's no one here, me included, that is above serving. There's no one above serving others. And so what does this mean? Feet washing, it's serving. It's not to add a foot washing station at 20s. We're not going to do that. <laughs> that, that um, you know, if Alex wants to do a foot washing event next semester, he's free to do that. But I will not allow it. <laughs> but Alex, you're free to do that next semester. <laughs> so, but what is Jesus saying? He's not saying start washing people's feet. Josh, you know when you you know when you have me over, wash my feet. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Josh is like, I get it, I know. Um, what he's saying, what Jesus is saying, is that this menial, repetitive. Uh, messy act of washing the feet 
What does it represent? The daily prioritizing of others first. The daily preferring of others' needs above our own. And you see, this, this idea of serving is an action, right? But it springs from a heart attitude first. It starts in the heart. It starts from a heart of others-mindedness. Philippians 2, that Olivia read, um, Paul says, to consider others more important than yourselves. I think that captures it right. And when I say serve, it doesn't mean to think, uh, to say, oh, woe is me, I'm low, I'm... No, no, I I love the saying, and it's not um, original with me, but uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, woe is me, I'm so low. No, it's thinking of yourself less. It's it's when you're walking in a room, the Lord is changing your heart and making you more like him so that you, when you walk in a room, you're less likely to think, I wonder what people are thinking of me right now. Is, how's my hair? Uh, I wonder um, if people are going to see me pick up this chair and serve. And, and as the Lord shapes us as believers, we think more and more of, oh man, there's somebody who just came in. And they look like they have a thousand bricks on their, ch- on their chest. They look like they have the weight on their world, on their shoulders. How can I serve them? How can I help them? As the Lord is changing us, he's making us think more of others and of ourselves less. So what is Jesus calling us to exactly? Here's some good, uh, good um, applications. I mean, it really is everything. It, it, it's praying for one another, serving one another, doing the menial tasks. It's, it's um, discipling one another, um, applying the word to one another. I think a great context for this is your life groups, right? You're eating together. Pick up the plates, you know, um, be aware of, you know, your brothers and sisters, what they're, what they're going through. Um, don't just be, you know, thinking of yourself. How can I serve? How can I pick up the plates? How can I sign up for food first? How can I bring the best thing? You know, I want to serve people. Um, I think of uh, if you have open free time, lead a, lead a kid's discussion um, table on Sunday morning on, in kids' ministry. That's such a great um, way to take the lowest place and to serve. Um, if, you, if you don't have time, a good application for you would be to look at how you spend your time. And maybe there's some worthless, worthless things that you need to divest yourself of so that you can obey the Lord in this area of serving. Um, but again, it's all with a heart of gratitude for the Father. For, for we have received far more than we could ever give away. Amen? We have received far more. So much more than we could ever, ever return to Him in service. And I think... Um, it's, it, it's, just, it's just so powerful to see the Son of God, the King of the universe, take the lowest place. So none of us are exempt. None of us are, could get too high in the organization, could get promoted too far to where we're now exempt from serving. We're all, me included, Jesus calls us to serve. But I love, okay, so I love this next part, verse 17. Um, what does it say? It says this. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does that word blessed mean? It means happy, joyful. Um, that, 
you know, oh, Christians can't be happy. They, they're only joyful. Joy is more longer term. Happy is a worldly. No. Happy is legit. Happy is Christian, just like joy is. It's all, that's what this word blessed means. It means happy. Um, and what is Jesus saying is happy? Oh, counterintuitive here. It's when you serve. When you take the low place, he's saying, he's saying I've done this for you in a, as an example, um, that you should do as I have done. If you, verse, skip down to 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, if you serve. It's, it's a blessing to serve. Happy are you if you do these things. Now, this is so counterintuitive, so counterintuitive. You're telling me, Luke, if I deliberately humble myself to serve others, I'm going to be happier? It seems like the more I give away, the less I'll have for myself. I need to save some for myself. If I give too much, I'm not going to have anything. But it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. The Proverbs 11.25, it's one of my favorite Proverbs. It says, the one who waters, picture the watering can, will himself be watered. And what that means, the principle is that if you care about other people first, you will always have enough for you. If you, if you take Jesus at his word, if you say, Lord, I have your spirit, and I don't always feel like serving people, but I'm going to believe you, I'm going to trust you for the strength, and I'm going to go out and serve others. It's happy. You will have nothing, you, you will always have enough for you. I think of the, the um, when the disciples, they, um, I think it, it wasn't the five fish, two loaves. No, it was. There was 12 baskets left over. I love that because the disciples were like, dude, we have enough for like one disciple. And you're telling us to share with all these people? We only have one watering can, bro. We can't water the crowds. We can't feed the crowds. And Jesus is like, do it anyway, man. Feed the crowds. And what was left over? 12 baskets. When you give away, there will always be enough for you. There will always be left over. If you're in ministry, if you're discipling someone right now and you are feeling discouraged because maybe, you know, you need to grow. The Lord's pointing things out in your life and, and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Be encouraged. There will be enough for you when you give. I love that principle. It's kept me going for many years um, and it's kept the servants of God going for many, many years. That promise. When we serve others, we're given the great gift of not having to think about ourselves. <laughs> the, let me tell you personally, the worst days in college for me were when the days when I had all day to just sit in my feelings and my thoughts and think about where, where life could be going and why I'm not where I want to be and what do I really want and why am I not there and why am I not this and why don't I have this skill that this person has and why don't I... That was the worst day ever because I was, I was focusing on me. And what would have been what, what, the best medicine for that? I wish Jesus would have just, and said, dude, you're miserable because you're serving no one. You're serving no one. Some of you feel empty. It's not because you're serving too much. It could be possibly because you're serving too little. It, it, could be, it might be because you're serving too little. If you focus on watering others, your garden will always be watered. It's, it's truly more fun to serve others than serve yourself. Okay, I'm, one last illustration of this. I was sitting with a friend over dinner Monday night, and this is an unbelieving friend, so not a Christian. And it's just unbelievable how this principle of serving that, that, that Jesus came up with, that Jesus created in us, 
to do, it, but it's, it's a principle that unbelievers are very aware of. So I was sitting with a, a friend, and he, he um, in an epiphany moment, he was, he was so excited to tell me this. Um, he said, Luke, you know, if I have $100, one of the things that I've learned over the years is it's, it's way more, I get way more self-gratification if I hand it to somebody and watch them spend it than if I spend it on myself. That's my unbelieving friend telling me this. And I'm thinking, you know, oh, well, give me the $100. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Then you can be happy, right? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, but I said, um, you know, friend, um, I'm trying to protect his name. Um, you know, the Bible would actually agree with you. Jesus said in his word that it is more blessed, is more happy, is more joyful to give than receive. And so, like, it's amazing just to see that, like, we're all created in the Lord's image. We all have the law written in our hearts. We all have the creator's image upon us. We're image bearers. And so this friend was, does not know Christ, but he has the law of God written on his heart. He knows the truth. Anyway, and so um, when I said that to him, he, he turned to me and he said, oh, I have heard that before. And I believe that more every day. I'm believing that book more every day. And so it was just such a great, great moment to be like, the Lord, the Bible is true. Like, this is so true and timeless. Um, but I, but what it, what it, again, it just goes to show that when you give, when you give away, it's the way of blessing. Jesus is not leading us to the valley of despair when he says to serve. He's leading us to the green pastures. He's leading us beside the still waters because he knows that that is what we need. That we need to take the low place. We are to take the lowest place. We aren't to walk into a room and say, where's the highest place? How can I position myself? No. We're to take the lowest place. So Jesus, though the weight of the world was on his shoulders, he took the form of a servant. He took the lowest place. He did it to show and illustrate his own work that he completes in our life and to lead us to our work. Our work is to serve. But he ends the text, Jesus, with a warning. And it kind of adds on a, ends on a sad note, but um, Jesus says, I'm not actually talking about all of you. Um, in, he says that in verse, uh, uh, verse 10. Not every one of you is clean. Let's skip down to verse 18. I'm, I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I want to I spend some time on that. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so Jesus right here is talking about Judas, his close friend, that would betray him. Judas had shared in the joy of the presence of God. I mean, think about the privilege that Judas had to walk alongside the Son of God. But he turned away. And that's a great picture um, of what's happening here. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Lifted his heel is just a picture of rejection, of turning away. That's what it means to lift your heel against somebody. Um, and so he's basically saying that someone who has eaten at my table, some, someone who has shared in the blessings that I've given, has rejected me. And this is so, this is such a great warning for the church today. You know, there's many in the church that are like this, that have, and this was my story for a while, that I lived in the church, I accepted God's gifts, I, I tasted of the community, Christ's community, 
but I did not follow the Lord. And there are many, many in the church today that taste, they eat the bread of the Lord. They are benefited from Christ, but they ultimately will reject him. And so I just plead with you, if that's you, today Jesus is your savior. He wants to save you. But if you reject him, he will be your judge. He will judge you. So look up to him. Repent of your sins and trust in him. So to conclude our time, I just want to, again, recap. If the king of the universe, the sustainer of the galaxy, the God who breathed life into you and into me, if he took the place of the foreigner, the servant, the lowest cast, then no one is above serving. Jesus calls us, all of us, if you name the name of Christ, if you are in his family, Jesus calls us to take the low place because he has taken it for us on the cross. Jesus calls us to join him. It is the place of blessing. And my prayer is that 20s would continue to be a lighthouse in this dark world for Christ. That's my prayer. That our serving, the way that we prefer others, that we uh, prefer others would be a testimony and that it would bring many to Christ in our city. So Lord, help us to take the low places you did, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it's a very convicting word, Lord, because we know we all fall short. We know if you were to judge None of us would stand. That, Lord, we're not all Christians here, but we're all sinful. We're all on the same plane. We're not Christians. Us Christians aren't any better. (laughs) We're all on the same plane. Lord, we're just forgiven. It's not the good people, the perfect people that go to heaven. It's the forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray, remind us of that. Humble us. Remind us that we're not above serving. We're not above it. Remind us of the blessing that it is to take our eyes off ourselves and to prefer others. It is truly a blessing that you've given. And Lord, may may 20s be a beacon. May it be a lighthouse. May it be a testimony. In this dark world, Lord, as, as 20s, 20s aged people in this world are pursuing their own pleasure, their own pursuits. Lord, they're lost. They think they're, rebe- they're, uh, they think they're rebelling, but they're just going with the crowd. They're going with everyone else. But Lord, you have extended your grace to us. Lord, I pray uh, tonight for anybody discouraged, downtrodden, Lord, that their, their faith is small, that you would encourage them. Encourage them with this word that you have given them the power to serve. You've given them everything they need to obey. Thank you for your son's sacrifice on our behalf. You're so good. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.